Thank you for joining us at Executive Search, Mr. Kelly. Very impressive background. There are a few things about your resume, however, we would like to discuss. Yes. Um, first thing, there are a few things on your resume that are not, strictly speaking, true. Yes. Oh, it was a requirement of your last job. Oh, I see. Well, we're just a little concerned that it may not be a requirement of your next job. Uh, in case the Fox News thing doesn't pan out and we have to send you a reputable employer. Yeah. Okay, well, we see, we'll see how that goes. Um, moving on now, um, there is some language on the resume we're not entirely comfortable with. Yeah. L well, yeah. L lying brown bitch, for instance. Well, you were talking about a U.S. congresswoman. I see. Well, that's, that's true. That will help us with the Fox News position. But uh, just in case we... Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start with that one and we'll move on from there. Great. Okay. Th there was the one more thing. Um, there seems to have been some time missing on your resume. Specifically, uh, what have you been doing for the last two years? Oh, the White House. Oh, the White House. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. I can see why you'd leave that out. Um, the, the problem is that most employers would be a little concerned with that kind of a gap on your resume. So I wonder what we could do to try to fill that time. S yeah, something, something better than working at the White House. Yeah. Um, do you have young kids, perhaps, that you could have taken time off? To, uh, yeah, I could see probably not. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're not Mormon by any chance. You know, some mission abroad for, for two years? Oh, I see. You've been spotted. Uh-huh. That, that would be a problem. Um, okay, then I think we're just going to have to go with the prison thing. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe we should put down that you've been working in the prison laundry for the past two years. I think that would be better. It's time. It's time. For Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. NRA tries out some new slogans in the wake of black men being murdered while trying to stop murder as the NRA tells them to do. Possible new slogan? The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good white guy with a gun. Another possibility? Only thing that stops a good black guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Don't forget to vote today. Thank you for voting for Sanity by listening to Forward Nation Radio with me, David Leventhal. Do you remember not too long ago when the week got off to a good start when there was actually good news about the president's cronies for instance going to prison gosh that good moment didn't last long as right before we go to recording now we have news of a federal district court judge in texas striking down the affordable care act a decision that is already being referred to in the editorial pages of the new york times the op-ed pages of the new york times is making a mockery of the rule of law and exercise of raw judicial power and worse. Yes, turns out a judge has decided 
to strike down the entire law because of the fact that Republicans had undercut the individual mandate by taking away the tax penalties. More on that in a few moments. The first thing to point out is that the judge in question is an appointee of Boy George. That's right. On this show, I'm going to go down the path in this case of President the Donald and point out, as everybody knows, that who puts you on the court matters, especially if you're put on the court by Republicans, because then you're put on strictly because they know how you're going to rule in important cases. So this George W. Bush appointee decided to overrule the entire Affordable Care Act because of this provision, because the tax provision had been removed and therefore the individual mandate cannot be sustained on the basis of the government's taxing power. Sound familiar? It should to our long-time listeners, because this is an issue that we have been talking about on this show, I guess, since we started. This was John Roberts' long game, so to speak. When he sort of upheld, when he cast the fifth vote years ago to uphold the Affordable Care Act, and therefore was vilified by the Republican right as a turncoat, an apostate. He, in fact, was thinking the long game that they were obviously, in general, way too fucking stupid to possibly even consider. As we've talked about on this show, the Affordable Care Act and the individual mandate should obviously have been upheld under something called the Commerce Clause, which gives the federal government the authority to regulate things that affect interstate commerce. The Commerce Clause has always been looked at broadly in this country to give the federal government power. Why? Because it needs it to do its job. But the Republicans, not liking the federal government, or for that matter, government, at least when it seeks to regulate their campaign donors and themselves, are at issue with the Commerce Clause and federal government power. That's why it was so notable that when Roberts cast the fifth vote to uphold the Affordable Care Act, he rests his decision not in the Commerce Clause, which was a huge issue from legal, but known to legal scholars even at that time. No, in fact, he decided to uphold the provision. He specifically pointed out that the Commerce Clause did not give the authority, the federal government, the authority to regulate, and thus the damage was done. What he said, though, was under its taxing power, the federal government has the ability to have the individual mandate as a tax. Thus, in fact, providing a roadmap to the GOP on how to go after the Affordable Care Act, while at the same time minimizing the Commerce Clause and effectively doing great damage that the Republicans have been looking to do for decades. So, John Roberts' roadmap became reality a day or two ago when a court took when the republicans took his direct direction by taking the tax penalty out of the individual mandate part of the affordable care act therefore rendering the tax argument moot so to speak what the judge should have done is perhaps on that argument overturn the individual mandate portion of the affordable care act what's called judicial restraint you know something that the republicans seek to believe in whenever Democratic judges are issuing rulings, but which Republicans don't believe in at all, again, as we've reported on extensively on this show, 
The idea of judicial restraint, Republican-wise, is our judges should enforce our political agenda and the other judges should shut up. So here we have now this judge decided not to do basic judicial restraint and just sever the offending portion of the Affordable Care Act, upholding the rest of it. No, he decided to go whole hog and say we are going to get rid of the entire Affordable Care Act. Oh, but don't worry, faithful listeners. This case will wind its way through the courts. It will go next to the Fifth Circuit and then perhaps to the United States Supreme Court. And ultimately, probably tens of millions of Americans will lose their health care. This is what, yes, let, let's all cheer. Let me give you a moment to cheer. USA, you, really nobody's out there cheering. Um, oh, well, denying people health care, still something to celebrate. This is why they're filling the judiciary with cronies. We are starting to see the master plan pay its dividends. Speaking of filling the judiciary with cronies, by the way, did you notice this week, Jonathan Cobus, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, it's sad that we have to pronounce it at all, was just confirmed as a federal judge. Why is this noteworthy? Well, the American Bar Association, you know, that bastion of liberalism and fake news, rated him not qualified. It, in fact, questions his, his understanding of complex legal analysis close quote, and knowledge of the law. That was also a quote. In other words, he's a fucking moron who doesn't know anything about the law. Or in other words, a perfect Republican judicial appointee. Well, he has been confirmed to our federal courts, along with at least one other so far candidate ruled not qualified by the ABA, and several others, at least five others, that Trump has nominated ruled not qualified. And this, of course, when the ABA rates you as not qualified, by the way, it's not talking about your ideology. It's not talking about the fact that you're a bigot and a white supremacist. It's talking about the fact that you don't even know the, the effing law. Okay? So once you throw in the bigots and the white supremacists, the picture gets even muddier. And we are reminded through this whole picture about how the Civil War is coming, people. It's got to be coming. At some point, people on my side, and by my side I mean people with any functioning brain matter, people who have any thought in justice, the rule of law and decency, are going to be fed up with being ruled by fucking morons who are too stupid to understand what they are doing. At some point, we are not going to accept the rulings of a federal judiciary, including a United States Supreme Court, filled with judges appointed by people the American public has roundly rejected. Judges nominated by a president who lost the popular vote. Again, Republicans have lost at least six out of the last seven popular votes for President of the United States. So judges who have been nominated by a judge who lost the popular vote and confirmed by a Senate that is already not Democratic 
and is becoming increasingly anti-democratic and representing a minority of Americans. And again, not just a minority of Americans, but the most evil and stupid people on the planet. It's becoming increasingly clear that the paths for people with decency are getting narrower and narrower and narrower to move forward. More on that as we get to the show. But as long as we're talking about corruption, um, let's talk about the Mr. The Donald's Neighborhood stories of the week. The week started out so promising with Michael Cohn being sentenced to prison. Hooray, good news. Scumbag white guy goes to jail. It can happen. Ooh, and it was really bad. Michael Cohn got sentenced to three years in prison. No easy time, three years in prison. I mean, sure, I'm sure they'll work something out where he will go to a cozy federal prison, perhaps get all kinds of visiting privileges, furloughs, whatever. But he got three years. My God, it's almost like he was a black guy selling crack cocaine or something. No, I'm just kidding. Michael Cohen says, loyalty to Trump has led me to choose a path of darkness over light. Speaking of our court system, Darth Vader, I understand, has just filed a lawsuit in federal court against Michael Cohen for besmirching his good name by referring to the dark side as applying to himself. Yes, Michael Cohen decided that he was going to cover his dirty deeds, cover Donald Trump's dirty deeds, rather than follow his own moral compass. Oh, inspiring words. Would be more inspiring if the man had any demonstrated moral compass in his life. Having been an absolute scumbag long before Donald Trump even came on the scene. Three years this guy gets? The judge in the case referred to, quote, a veritable smorgasbord of crimes. He referred to insidious harm to our democratic institutions before sentencing him to three years in prison. You know, the same three years that Khalif Browder spent in jail in Rikers Island awaiting to be tried on charges of stealing a backpack, which he denied, and denied so much that he wouldn't even take a plea agreement that would have gotten him out of jail earlier, spending much of that time in solitary confinement before getting out and ultimately taking his own life. Yes, this is justice, American style. This is equal or blind justice, American style, apparently. Anyway, speaking of justice and criminals, David Becker and the National Enquirer has also been in the news this week. Boy, the, the week really did start so promising. As the noose tightens and tightens and tightens around the president's neck. You know, it was really pretty funny, actually. I was a little behind in some of my podcasts and during the week. I'm listening to some of my old podcasts that are talking, is Donald Trump a target of the Mueller investigation? Well, that wasn't that long ago. And just a little while later, we now know not only that Donald Trump is a target of the investigation, but they basically have him by the short hairs dead to rights, including the fact that his good buddy, David Becker, the head of the National Enquirer, who was spending money to buy stories from Donald Trump's harems, in order to shut them up and bury the stories, was also coming out this week and indicating that he was directed to commit 
felonies by the President of the United States. Continuing Mr. The Donald's Neighborhood, we have this week Maria Butina, or Butina, pleading guilty. You know, the Russian spy who made such good headlines reminding us of the Americans. The Russian spy who Vladimir Putin was moved to say, I don't even know who she is and nobody in my administration, nobody, nobody I know has ever even heard of her. So Trumpian, so Trumpian of Vladimir Putin. Nobody's ever even heard of this woman. I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. It turns out that her handler was Vladimir Putin's close friend and confidant and right-hand man. No surprise there. It's going to be interesting what she has to say, but of course, one of the most interesting parts of this story is how she decided she was going to infiltrate the Republican Party to get them to do Russia's bidding, and she was going to infiltrate them by infiltrating the NRA. You know, same thing. So the Trump team has really circled its wagons here about all the latest examples of Donald Trump committing crimes. And we are reminded of the progression of defenses from it never happened, we never did it, to, well, maybe we did it, but if so, it was no big deal, to, well, maybe we did it in kind of, maybe it was a deal, but it wasn't a crime. Okay, well, maybe it was a crime. Now we're at, okay, we did it, it was a crime, but seriously, what do crimes matter anyway? Come on, it's just a crime, big deal. We had Rand Paul covering himself with glory again this week. Why, if you locked up everyone who had made campaign violence violations, why, you would, what, lock up the entire Republican congressional contingent as well as its president? Good thought, Rand. First time in my life, I think, I've agreed with you. You know, lock up everyone who had campaign violence campaign finance violations, we'd be locking up everyone. You mean, like for years, we've been locking up people who smoke marijuana? Didn't matter that much when it was black people, but I guess when it's Republicans, the important point here being the law does not apply to Republicans. Uh, Elsewhere in Donald Trump's neighborhood this week, Wisconsin. And will liberals never learn It's so cute to see liberals who just want so desperately to believe that the other side is not the absolute fucking scum that they are. Not the absolute criminals and debased human beings, and I'm probably going to be sued by human beings now for saying that, that the Republican Party and its ilk are. Yes, when the Wisconsin legislature was preparing bills to strip the incoming Democratic governor of most of his power, certainly much of his power to represent the people of Wisconsin, there were people who said, maybe Governor Scott Walker won't sign the bills. Nobody on this show, by the way, was saying that maybe Scott Walker wouldn't sign the bills because Scott Walker has no integrity. He's never had integrity. He's a scumbag. He's a criminal. He's a liar. You know, he's a Republican. So he signed the bills, stripping the incoming governor and attorney general of power and leaving power in the hands of the legislature, as the people, of course, never wanted, since, as we have pointed out endlessly on the show, the legislature is not Democratic 
and is Republican strictly because the Republicans have so gerrymandered it that there will never be democracy in Wisconsin. Now can we start our USA chance? Yes, I've talked on this show about the Republican Party and its criminality. Well, let's start getting a little serious. Years ago, our government enacted criminal RICO statutes. RICO standing for Racketeer Influenced Corrupt Organizations. These were statutes implemented to bring down organized crime, the mafia, the mob, and which therefore are absolutely perfect to bring down the current Republican Party. The current Republican Party, which has demonstrated itself to effectively be organized crime, to be about nothing other than accumulating power to enrich itself and its wealthy donors. What is that if not a criminal organization? I know Democrats will take over the House if they ever get back in power in this country. We'll hear about this is not the time to look backwards or whatever. But what we need to be doing is preparing all the charges and criminal RICO actions. And basically, Republican leaders all across this country should be thrown in dungeons for the rest of their lives. Speaking of dungeons for the rest of their lives, how are fossil fuel executives not in jail? How are the people who've been running our oil companies for the last 30 years not in dungeons for the rest of their lives? As we get some good news that Ryan Zinke just announced that he's leaving the administration, and by leaving, I don't mean, I assume, leaving the country. I I assume they took his passport away and he can't do that given all the criminal investigations about him. But he's moving on, presumably leaving the Interior Department to be run by a former oil company executive. Hey, I understand Rex Tillerson has some time on his hands these days. Hmm, that could work. But anyway, at a time where we see the incoming Democrats or many incoming Democrats in Congress talking about a Green New Deal, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Green New Deal to embark on an ambitious nationwide program to wean ourselves of climate change-inducing fossil fuels within a decade or two. A massive government investment to clean up this country, prepare us for the future, and save the planet. You know, something that only Democrats could possibly even get behind. Once again, we're reminded about how people will talk about there's no difference between the parties. They're all the same. Parties are so extreme. One party is trying to save the planet. One party is trying to profit off of its destruction. Yes, it turns out it's being reported again this week how oil companies have been secretly working to kill regulations to address climate change, including Marathon, the largest oil refiner in the country, and how it's been secretly working behind the scenes to destroy regulations regarding automobile fuel efficiency. The automobile makers have come to grips with the fact that some of their vehicles need to get better gas mileage before we're all dead. But that hasn't stopped the fossil fuel industry from getting whatever it can out of what's left of this country before it's gone in this world. You think I'm overstating the case? Think I'm engaging in hyperbole? There was a UN climate conference this week. 
at which President Trump's international energy and climate advisor, Wells Griffith, apparently hosted a panel discussion on fossil fuels. He is quoted as having said, the United States has an abundance of natural resources and is not going to keep them in the ground. We strongly believe that no country should have to sacrifice their economic prosperity or energy security in pursuit of environmental sustainability. That's right. You heard that right. This is our international energy and climate advisor at the United States saying that sustaining the planet is not worth a few dollars. That's basically what he's saying. You couldn't really put it more succinctly than this. Gosh darn it, saving the planet shouldn't stop us from making money. That's what we're up against. So we really see the the dividing lines once again in this country between those who want to save the planet and those who are fucking assholes. The problem is, even if the Green New Deal catches on, and there is broad support in this country, even among Republicans, for doing more to save the planet. But what happens now when this movement runs up against Republican judges? This is why they're filling the judiciary, not just to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, but to prevent the federal government from enacting any legislation that will allow us to promote the interests of the planet and the human beings living in it at the expense of wealthy scum. And finally, in Mr. The Donald's neighborhood, the government shut down. Yes, that's right. It almost seems quaint at this point that the United States government may be shutting down soon. And the President of the United States is either such a moron, which of course he is, but or so convinced at how unbelievably stupid his supporters are, and again, that's him, not me saying that, really, that he's willing to take credit for the government shutdown. He's willing to say, yeah, I'll own it. Whatever, he'll just change his tune if that's not working well and his moron adherents will believe that. I will be proud to shut down the government for border security. Right, because that's what this is about, border security. The second most heavily defended border in the world after the border between North and South Korea is just not protected in this country anymore. Yeah, we just need the damn wall because that's what the morons want. So if you haven't seen the video of the president meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, it's really worth a view. Just, I don't know why, uh, for comedy reasons, I guess. To see the leader, the Democratic leaders of the House and Senate sit and talk, try to show respect for the presidency of the United States while talking to a man whose very existence so disrespects the office of the presidency of the United States. I was asked in class if I felt that the Democrats were too easy on Trump. And my response was, it seems to me they were actually pretty good and pretty strong and pretty forceful and didn't back down. But they were in a very difficult place as having being in the Oval Office or wherever it was, talking to the president of the United States and having to respect the institution Again, while talking to somebody 
who clearly deserves absolutely no respect. Would I have loved for Nancy Pelosi at some point to say, Mr. President, stop the bullshit about protecting America because it's just one of your latest lies in the last few moments. But of course, you can't go that far when it's the President of the United States. Despite the fact that he debases the office every moment, if she had done that, all the news would have been Nancy Pelosi disrespects the presidency of the United States. So they had to push back at this lying sack of shit with a respect for the presidency that he, of course, would never show. And they couldn't even do what the rest of us do, which is like, you know, with all due respect, you're a fucking lying sack of shit. So they had to be a little bit better. Fortunately, of course, those of us who have some access to media don't feel so constrained. We could point out that he is, of course, a lying sack of shit who disrespects the presidency every moment just by being in it. Not only does he disrespect the presidency, he brings a criminal to it. And yes, remember how his slogan in 2016, 2015, 2017, 2018, etc., lock her up, lock her up, still gets the faithful all excited? Yeah, well, now as the walls circle in and there's the noose tightens around his neck, let's hope, figuratively speaking, of course, that maybe Donald Trump's 2020 slogan will be, don't lock him up, don't lock him up. Don't lock him up. Because that's right. Right now it appears as we continue to operate under a Justice Department memo indicating that the President of the United States should not be indicted. We're operating with that assumption that the President can't be indicted. Well, that requires us to wait until he's no longer President in order to indict a criminal President of the United States for his crimes. And we are reminded here about the statute of limitations which will expire early in Donald Trump's second term should he last that long. God help us. So we are having to look at this idea of whether a sitting president could be indicted through the lens of you either indict him while he's president or the statute of limitation runs out and you can't indict him at all. How is it possible that that latter is somehow envisioned by the Constitution or by our framers? How is it possible that the feeling was that the president should be above the law and able to commit crimes for which he could never be held responsible? Thus, he needs to be indicted. I don't know. Maybe this will, maybe this question will find its way into our courts. That would be nice. But just one more civics lesson that we learned from the Trump administration about how indictment works, presidential immunity, things like that. Just like Donald Trump has taught us so much already about civics, which his very existence demonstrates Americans really need to learn a lot more about. For instance, of course, how we all now know what the emoluments clause is. As more and more testimony comes up that Donald Trump has been and continues to use the presidency of the United States as a way to personally enrich himself, we all learn that the emoluments clause of the United States Constitution something that I think one-tenth of one percent of Americans could have even identified a few years ago, in fact, seeks to prevent such a thing, such self-dealing. And I put an emphasis on seeks to. Yes, during the Trump administration, we've all been introduced to the legal and constitutional definition of treason, i.e., it's very narrow. So Donald Trump and the Republican Party technically don't seem to fit within that category. You know, it depends on what the meaning of is, is. 
for those who understand that reference. We've learned a lot about collusion, obstruction of justice, conspiracy, even golden showers. We've learned about the Voting Rights Act by virtue of the fact that it basically no longer exists and therefore increasingly neither do voting rights. Thanks to the Donald, if this country survives, some of us will be a little bit wiser about some of its provisions. Anyway, before we leave today, a big shout out to Time Magazine. You probably have already heard Time Magazine's Person of the Year was Jamal Khashoggi and journalists. We hear this the same week that the Parliament in Great Britain releases emails about Facebook, Facebook emails, that demonstrate what absolute evil shit those scumbags are. But time, let's be clear, by making Jamal Khashoggi and journalists the persons of the year, was giving a huge middle finger to Donald Trump and U.S. Republicans. Make no mistake, that's what's going on here. This was journalists fighting back against those who fight not only against journalism, but truth, facts, and basic human decency. An inspired choice by Time Magazine. And let's hope it has some impact. We're reminded about the importance of journalism again this week. I get asked in class all the time, Professor Leventhal, do you have any places, any, any media on the right that's reliable and trustworthy that we should read? And I say, well, it depends on what you mean by the right. Because if they're still supporting the current Republican Party, no. By definition, there is nothing reliable. There is nothing trustworthy. There is nothing with any integrity that would support this. Ask me in 1940 which honest German media outlets, outlets were pro-Nazi, and the answer would have been the same. There are none. When you have a political party this insane, this against basic human decency and basic facts, there's no credible people who are supporting it. And we've been giving an indication of that this week with the travails of the Weekly Standard. A news weekly... I've never had much use for. One brought it, I think founded, brought into prominence by William Crystal, who of course has earned his prominent place as one of the leaders of the modern conservative movement by of course having been born into it. But the weekly standard that has always been rabid, partisan, right-wing journalism, it turns out may not be able to survive the era of Trump. Why? The problem isn't that they're crazy. The problem isn't that they're unreliable. The problem isn't that they have no credibility. The problem is that they might have a little bit of just those very traits. That's right. As the GOP and its base go full nuts, it turns out there may not even be room for a reliably conservative news magazine, so-called news magazine, like the Weekly Standard, because they haven't gone full Trump crazy. No, in fact, the standard there for the standard and whether or not they can manage to survive is can they pull what we should know as a Tucker Carlson? That's right. 
a man who spent most of his life being a conservative jackass, but who has decided that his bread is buttered now and having gone full white supremacist, full white trash. This is now the weekly standard. Can we sufficiently go nuts to appeal to Trump voters? Maybe we'll run a few articles like Tucker about how immigrants are replacing white people. Women are replacing men. Genocide against the dominant white race. We'll check in to see how the Weekly Standard is doing on future shows. We hope you join us. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Please do share our links with all of your friends. Please help us support Forward Nation Radio. Thanks very much. I hope it's a good week. It's certain to be an eventful one. See you next week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 